This is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in here. Now it's time to enter into a world of innovation, a world of human struggles, heartbreak, and achievement. And most of all, a world of wonder. Welcome to CT Startup. All right, so we're here at the New Venture Challenge with uh, Drew Harris, uh, professor, so business professor, entrepreneur professor, what's your actual title again now? Well, technically my title has just changed. I'm now associate to the dean in the School of Business at Central Connecticut State Ooh. University. All right, very good. So right. actually, so Drew used to be my entrepreneurship professor when I was at CCSU a few years back. So, um, so it's good to you know still uh, be in touch with you. So, tell us a little bit about what you do now as associate dean, and also what you're doing here at the uh, New Venture uh, Challenge course. Well, I uh, my uh, the, the dean says I'm the guy who makes the sausage. You know, I, I keep <laughs> keep the wheels turning at the university nice. uh, in the school of business. So, I, I sign a lot of forms. Oh, okay, and, cool. Uh, so, um, you're an administrator. Right, right, reports and so <laughs> forth. I, 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 um, I am teaching a, a course this term, the New Venture Challenge. We'll be talking about that, I'm sure. Um, and I'm I'm signed on for a year. They haven't released a formal search, and I may or may not apply for the job. We'll see how much I like it. Yeah, exactly. Right. So. Nice. Nice. So, uh, so the evolution of kind of entrepreneurship and everything like that. So, tell us, like, how long you've been teaching entrepreneurship? You know, kind of. You know, I was in your class. We were doing the business plans, and now you're here teaching the business model canvas. So, tell us a little bit about the, kind of the evolution. Sure. Well, so um, when I when I got my PhD, there were no very few places that offered degrees in entrepreneurship. So my degree is in management. Um, I had owned or been a major shareholder in seven businesses before I went back to graduate school. And, um, you know, the the way that we were doing business in those days, I, I might have been a little more sophisticated than some people because I actually made financial projections. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they, oh, I remember that, yeah. They weren't real great, but, you know, I made them. Yep. And, and, and in fact, I, you know, I, the other day I was cleaning out my attic and I discovered some of these old big green ledger pages where I'd done financial projections by hand with pencil and so calculator. So old school Excel sheets, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Pre-PC spreadsheets. Um, <laughs> Prehistoric. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> spreadsheets. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad there are no visuals to go yeah. with this. <laughs> so, um, so when I, I, I had not been teaching entrepreneurship till I came to Central. That was uh, 11 and a half years ago. And um, they, because of my background, and I'd published some things related to um, entrepreneurship. They asked me to teach the class. And so I... I kind of took the textbooks that people had been using, and they were um, mainly books aimed at small business. I mean, they talked about um, about larger businesses, but larger businesses were sort of treated like um, like they were just outgrowths of smaller businesses. Yeah. Um, and there was very little distinction at that point between what we now talk about as investable or scalable businesses versus um, Main Street or personal businesses. There's a little distinction, but not a real distinction about the paths to those. So the um, the old school, or not, well, the, the way it had been taught was really about uh, known ways of doing business. And I mean, the history of the, the textbooks around entrepreneurship were really about known ways of doing business. You know, the hardware store, the restaurant, the yep. things people knew about. So um, 
what you were doing there was trying to teach people the skills to operate inside a known model. And, and really the internet trashed all that. Um, and so we have all these new kinds of models, peer-to-peer -peer sales platforms and um, you know, crowdsourcing of information and, and money and things like that. And there's a lot of different ways to do a business now and a lot of different ways to approach customers. And along the way, um, uh, Bob Dorf and Steve Blank um, and, and others, um, um, Osterwild, came up with this idea that, you know, really when we're trying to invent a new business, a new way of doing business, we can't just do it the old way because you can't project what's going to yeah. happen. Pass it the real world, right? You, yeah. An idea has to hit the real world before you're just pitching it. Right. We, we actually had Bob on here a couple of months ago as well, talking very similar about that. Yeah, so Bob's a great guy. He's been working with us in the Entrepreneurship Foundation and uh, will actually be sort of a, a headliner for a program we're doing next summer. Right. Um, so this new way of doing business, the lean launch methodology or the business model canvas, um, says that there's really a discovery process. Um, and, and there's a distinction here. You're discovering a business process, not discovering whether your technology works. So some of these guys came out of uh, engineering and technology, and, and if you're designing a product, you really need to understand who's going to use it and understand them really well. And um, if you know that your technology can work, like, like you know, I see, uh, you know, you got a computer there that you're on and you know that that technology works, so that, that particular um, computer I'm looking at is small and it's got a keyboard, but it's smaller than a normal keyboard. And is that, what context will somebody want that computer? Yep. Versus a, a none. This none, is a none, terrible yeah, this computer. Is, this is a this is, computer. I am suffering over here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they didn't do the lean launch process, and, and I'm guessing they don't sell a whole ton of those. It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so this idea of saying, well, you know, I've got this idea about how I'm going to how customers might want to solve some problem mm -hmm. in their life, um, and really the the lean launch process is. is classic design. It's going and exploring the problem set till you really understand what the customer wants or what they could want. They Often, um, one of my mentors was W. Edwards Deming, who's kind of the grand guru of quality. And, um, you know, he used to say, customers don't know what they want. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's like a Steve Jobs, right? They didn't know they wanted an iPad or right. an iPod before it was there. Right. So what you know is that there are problems. Uh, like Dr. Deming used to say, Nobody wanted pneumatic tires, you know, but people wanted a softer ride, mm -hmm. you know, when they were either with their wagons or their the first automobiles where there were solid tires. Those were rattle traps, you know. So if people wanted softer rides. They just didn't know how to get them. Mm -hmm. And somebody figured out, oh, if I make this tube and fill it with air, it'll bounce a little bit and it won't jar me so much. Uh, so customers don't know what they want, except they want a problem solved. So they know the value props that they're willing to, to pay money for, right? Some, sometimes. Sometimes. Yep. Um, I mean, there's, there's problems with that because when actually presented with a solution, some people will pay it and some people won't. Yep. I, I guess yeah. this is the part of customer discovery, right? Like, yeah. It's like you want to say, will you pay for this? Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the discovery process is both really getting a deep empathy for the problem um, you know, we're running a class right now, and we're at the stage where the students want to say, I got a solution, I got a solution. 
But we were saying, no, no, you don't even know the problem. You think you do, but you don't. We need to spend a couple of weeks going and talking to people who are living this problem yeah. every day. And then then you might come up with a decent solution. Yeah. Uh, so so how, is, how has this changed the way you teach entrepreneurship and how you interact with your class? So um, the biggest thing, it's, uh, it's what Dorf and, and uh, Blank and others say, is you, you got to get out of the room. Yep. So um, like this class that we're doing, my students were charged with interviewing a certain number of people before today's meeting. So they had to actually go interview people. If they were doing Main Street, they had to go talk to some business owners. Um, they, if they were doing something with ed tech, they had to talk about talk to teachers or maybe somebody who was producing something there. But um, they had to go interview them. Mm -hmm. You know, when you took the class, I didn't make you go interview. No, you anybody. did not. No, and I was I was telling I was telling uh, Mike was that um, when we did when we won the um, the pitch competition for him, right? Uh, it was funny because I think the only reason why we won was because there was a customer on the boat uh, that was one of the judges. He was like, I would use this. And he validated the fact that our business model or business was a valid thing. Well, the know? other thing you had, Dean. Well, Dean, well, Dean was also, you know, the, the guy in the, in the trenches and he yeah. knew everything. But yeah. in, fact, in fact, you know, <laughs> Dean was so persuasive. I, I usually, just a little aside, um, I do a lot of pit coaching for pitches and I usually say, you need to look like your audience because you build empathy that way. Well, Dean showed up with his cut-off flannel oh, shirt yeah. and his, his overalls and his everything. tattoos. And I'm like, dude, you know. And then he pitched <laughs> about being a bike mechanic. And he was like, oh, oh you know, yeah, he's yeah. completely credible. Yeah. You know? yeah, and the guy was like, you can work on my bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right now. <laughs> and he's in the, you know, on the rack. I trust this man. I don't <laughs> trust the guy in the suit. <laughs> exactly. So Dean already knew deeply yep. because he'd been in the business for, you know, 10 oh, yeah. years or something at that point. Uh, most of the young people that we get in college haven't been in the business, unless they come from a family business, yep. and they know that business. And we, we do real well with helping them, you know, move into more senior roles with their family business or creative spin out or things like that. So do your students respond to the fact of, like, getting out of the room and actually going to talk to, to people? I mean, is that something that they're comfortable well, with, or is they, it actually... They respond. <laughs> <laughs> so it, 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 the first response is... You want me to do what? And and you know, there's I don't have time. And how am I going to find these people? And you know, people are all around. You know, you want to talk about education technology. You know, at this point, there's hardly anybody who's in high school who hasn't gone to Khan Academy to look at you know mm -hmm. how they do math yeah. online, right? And it and it serves a certain set of people. It doesn't serve my daughters, for example, but it serves a certain set yeah, of people. Exactly, yeah. You know, my daughters are good with math, but they you know. Um, so, uh, so everybody, you know, it was something like education technology. Every parent, everybody who's gone to school uh, knows something about that. Every teacher, they know teachers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Go talk to teachers. So it's getting them to realize that they actually know people who are dealing with the challenges, problems, and opportunities. Uh, so, and then once they do that, it's, it's that first step out the door that's so hard. And then once they go, it's like, oh, Wow, that was actually fun. Wow, I learned something. I thought it was X, and they told me it was Y. And then I talked to this other guy, and he said it was Z. Yep. And, and so they start to realize that their view of the world is not, um, is not entirely accurate, <laughs> or at least not translatable <laughs> well, well, first to others. Of all, that, that's one of the parts of college that <laughs> I think you got to come out with, is that what you think you know about the world isn't actually what is out in the world, yeah, right? Yeah. You know nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, knowing nothing is a great place to start. 
you know, and I tell the story in my class. Um, I, I don't know if I did it with your class, the, the Oreo cookie thing. No, so I, I do a thing now with ideation where we use Oreo cookies as a prop. And, and partly that's because one of my failed businesses. Oh, yes, <laughs> was, I remember this. It was a cookie business, right? And, and, and uh, I had never baked cookies. I mean, my girlfriend at the time had, and we were tearing apart Oreo cookies and putting peanut butter on them. And, and we realized the, the wafers really don't taste very good. Sorry, Oreo. But um, one man's opinion. Yeah. So we set about making a, a, a sandwich cookie with a really good chocolate wafer and nice peanut butter filling, and, and we made a fabulous cookie. It took a while, and, and uh, we, had, we got some people interested, but uh, when they said, oh, yeah, and so when you have th four products, we'll take it. I'm like, four products? What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Can I say that on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, you can. Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, I had no idea about the cookie business because yep. I'd been a computer geek at that point you know and, and and it just killed me you know like oh and you know i'd spent five months perfecting this cookie and now i need three other products i you know i gained 10 pounds it was yeah, right. <laughs> and I, I don't have another 15 months to yeah do and this. i don't have any money and yeah, i run yeah. out of money i'd been really foolish you don't quit my day job before mm -hmm. i had this you know really not a good idea um i mean i hated the day job but it's well, still that, that besides <laughs> the point right yeah um so you know, that was a place, if I'd had a little bit of education, if I'd had this methodology, even though cookie business is sort of a known model, it, we were, it, cookies were actually at a point of flux then. It was when uh, Famous Amos first came out and Mrs. Fields and the kiosk, and we mm -hmm. broke the dollar a cookie price barrier, and it made, made premium cookies yeah. a, um, a thing that everybody would buy. Um, so there's some things like that that I understood, but then the mechanics of it, I didn't understand yeah, at all. Yeah. If I had gone and talked to the shop owners that we wanted to sell through the exclusive... You would have we, found that out right from the beginning, right? Right. It would have been like the second thing they would have said, you know, you got to have four products before I give you counter space. And mm -hmm. we, we might have stopped. <laughs> or, or you or might have just iterated them, differently, right? Yeah, you know, we would have been testing them all simultaneously. I mean, you know, and I would have gained 20 pounds instead of 10 because I was eating cookies every day. Yeah. You, you still have this cookie recipe. I think, you know, we're talking about cookies over here. I'm getting a little hungry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So so are, are your students getting to like the – so first of all, how long have you been teaching the business model canvas lean launch? We've been doing that about five years. Five years? So so basically like what, right after I left? Yeah, yeah. Great. yeah. I appreciate it. Um, so are, are your students getting to like the aha moments of what it takes to, to build a business like quicker through your courses? I mean, like tell us a little bit about that because I mean, I remember one, one for, you know, um, in, in my class, like it seemed like a lot of the students like halfway through, even three quarters of the way, they're like, I'm just writing a business plan. I'm making financial production projections. And I'm not like I'm not either. Their their interest is waning because they're just like, is this really entrepreneurship? Yeah. Or and and now I could see that again. I was telling Mike is that when I was in the reset thing, like customer discovery was the big aha. I was like, oh my god, like I can yeah. have a lot of progress week by week just by talking to people. And I'm as you know, I'm a good talker, or at least I you know think you I do am. Talk. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say I don't know if I am a good talker, but <laughs> you um, talk a lot. <laughs> um, so so it's one of those things. Like, are students getting? Is it engaging them more in, in the process of being an entrepreneur? Yeah, it it, it actually has this interesting um, sort of. It creates a um, uh, two paths. Mm -hmm. So some of the students get into this, and they get partway through, and they say, "Oh." 
oh, this is way harder than I thought, <laughs> and and I'm going to go get a job, yep. you know, and this is good. And, and that's a, that is a good thing. This is a victory yeah. because then you don't, you know, lose, spend all your savings and gain 10 pounds. And, yep. you know, Self-awareness <laughs> is a big piece of entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot more realism for it, mm -hmm. uh, um, and they get a much better sense. And then the others are like, oh, now I can actually figure out what I need to do before I spend a ton of money to get this done. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it you know it kind of creates this fork in the road for them, and and that's a really beautiful. And thing. and I would also assume that like you know in, in the next room you have students that are in groups, right? So you almost kind of start like there's a lot of people who are, are two, three, four kind of in an organization. They want to be a part of the startup, but they know that they you know they come in after the 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 original entrepreneur goes out and does the customer discovery, understands what what's happening, maybe sells a couple of things. So it again puts you into your place and, and uh, to have the students know like, okay, I can thrive in this part of, an, of a startup, not in this part kind of a thing. Yeah, I don't think we get far enough for them to really piece, you know, yep. feel that out. Um, and, you know, with the group things here, there's always the, the alphas and the betas and, mm -hmm. you know, the egos and people are driving. And, you know, like I, just before coming in here, one of the things that delayed me for a minute is that, you know, one of my students was saying, it was pitching an extension of his family's business to this group. It's like, no, you, you, right now you're supposed to be looking at problems and starting to understand problems, not trying to, you know. Try to make new business. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a there's this real powerful uh, pressure to converge on a solution way before people understand. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, you really just got to learn to hang back and really understand. And that that's that's really hard for students. Mm -hmm. it, it's almost like the patience to really understand the business and to yeah. really understand what you actually are even building. Yeah, and, you know, and what problem you're really solving, mm -hmm. you know? So, like, I, I use an analogy. Um, so, old-fashioned can openers. You know, I, I've been using this a lot lately. You know, if you have, you know, there, there was the knife, you know, you jam it into a can and hopefully you don't cut yourself and spill everything in the can. And then there were these things that looked kind of like weird pitchforky kind mm -hmm. of things that were you know a knife with a handle on it a different kind of leverage and then we got the the turn crank and every one of those has a problem um you know like the can openers i grew up with where you you clamp it down and there's a, a blade that goes cuts into yep. the top of the can from the top down and you crank it around right but when you do that the top falls into your soup and you're like geez did i wash that top uh, yeah, off yeah. Or, or i cut my finger fishing mm -hmm. it out or you know, it's just all like, in you know, my mom actually discovered this can opener that cuts the side of the can. Yep. You know, it's a beautiful thing because it comes off and, you know, you don't cut yourself and it doesn't fall in. I always like the one that had the little magnet on top. So it cuts the top off, but right. then it grabs the top off. Right. We had one of those hanging up in my, I haven't thought about that little machine in probably 15 years. We had one of those, and it was like, my mom was just wowed because she was always fishing the things out and she was like, this is it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and those, that was a, a major step forward. But, the, you know, it's like somebody had to think, oh, everybody hates the top falling in mm -hmm. and cutting their fingers. And what are we going to do about it? You know, and then somebody said, well, let's put the magnet on. And then somebody said, you know, we could cut the side of the can right below the crown. Yep. And, you know, problem solved, right? You know, they're, they're two different solutions. And they both are valid and they're both, you know, people made money on them. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> But it's like really understanding what's the problem, you know.
Just another example of that salad spinners where they dry yeah. the lettuce. Yeah. Everybody used to have to dry it with paper towels. And then someone thought, hey, well, we just spin this around like a drying machine. Hey. Yeah. Well, there's probably a guy who said, I'm not going to paper towel. And you start flailing the, you know, and the water went all over hell. <laughs> <laughs> that was my method. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's why I'm saying it's a guy who probably figured that out. Like, um, so, so obviously the way you teach entrepreneurship has changed. The way the students have been kind of reacting to, to you teach it uh, has changed. So let's kind of take it a little bit global perspective. How does this relate to Connecticut and the startup ecosystem? Like, are other schools adopting this? I mean, is, is it kind of like a known thing within education where it's like, listen, the old the old style of business plan writing and then p- pitching that business to an investor is out the door? Like, uh, Not really. Okay. I mean, so it, it's professor by professor. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm one one professor doing this and, you know, like I'm – this is the only course I'm teaching this semester. We got four other entrepreneurship courses going this You're semester. You're signing a lot of papers, though. So yeah, yeah. and and the other guys are not necessarily doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, they, uh, one of the classes is taught by a serial entrepreneur. He's doing a little bit of this, but he hasn't really dug into this. He mm-hmm. made he lucked out, or you know, I mean, he's really good, and he made money the old-fashioned way, where they made a plan and they yep. they tried things out, and they had enough money to try things out. That's when it was easier to get venture funding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, so it's um, it's hit and miss, and that's one of the re- things that's really important about the Connecticut Consortium of Entrepreneurship Educators is that I don't know. It might have taken me another five years to find out about this if I hadn't been in the consortia and a couple of people who are you know ahead of me in the game started pounding on us saying you, you know we're doing this and you need to think about it. And finally, I looked at it and was like, oh yeah, that makes some, so much sense, right? But if I hadn't been meeting with them and we meet, you know, some three, four times a year and sharing best practices, it might have taken me another five years to find this. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I found it. It's like, oh, yeah. And then we started talking about, I, I had been involved with uh, Startup Weekends. I was one of the organizers of the first Startup Weekend here in, in the state. And we sort of that first year did a little of this. And then the second year we were full on, you know, trying to get people to do the business model mm-hmm. canvas on a weekend. And. Um, some of the other guys in the consortium had um, been organizing a, a Startup Weekend in New Haven and, and, um, and then down at Bridgeport. And we're like, you know, a weekend isn't enough to do this. Mm-hmm. And couldn't we do this with a course and actually teach it? You know, and, and take, you know, a, a multiple weeks where kids could actually go outside and yep. interview people, right? Um, and so we also had seen this model where it's really energy is it's powerful to have a hundred people in the room uh, so we we came up with this idea that we could do um, this course we've invented the new venture challenge by um, having you know if I have 25 to 30 students on my campus and there are four other campuses that have similar kinds of numbers we could have 100 120 students in a room mm-hmm. leverage mentors and and get a lot of excitement and that, and and have enough time when we do a, a, a all day Saturday and then two weeks another all day Saturday and two yep. weeks and a Saturday Sunday and it, it's enough time to at least get the flavor of what it is to go do this kind of research and it's been really great I mean the students unequivocally love it mm-hmm. um, so is is one of the real reasons why kind of the business model canvas is is good for students is that it, it it's raising kind of like the quality of the stuff that's coming out of these these uh, classes, yeah. and it's not it's not like again it's you know you're not bringing in judges that are just like listen like I'm doing it as a 
being nice to to guy you know to to the students or is it is it because like we were talking about with Mike is that one of the big things is that you can't bring the quality of the investor down. You have to right. bring the quality of the entrepreneur up to to meet their standards, right? Yeah, 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 no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're we see better like the our annual business or twice a year business yep. plan competitions. The the pitches are way more sophisticated. There's a lot more evidence of what the likelihood is of success because mostly students have gone and talked to people who have the real problems they're trying to solve. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so. Those of us who are doing this are seeing that there's more sophistication, understanding the problems, there's more um, awareness of what they're trying to solve, and a better assessment of the probability of success. Nice. So, you know, the, the state of Connecticut, I mean, one of the reasons why we started the, the podcast, we, we wanted to start highlighting, like, the good things that are happening. I mean, you hear too much about how Connecticut sucks, and, and you know, it's not a good place to do business, and all this kind of stuff, which I, I find, I just wholeheartedly disagree with, you know. First off, when there's problems, there's solutions to be made, you know, and, and money yeah. to be made around that. So, like, what are a couple of things that you think the state is doing well right now, you know, to, to foster a better startup ecosystem? And or what are the things that we need to kind of focus more on so we can, you know, become one of these, one of the premier, you know, ecosystems in the country? Sure. So um, one of the things that, that they've finally done something about is they've put some money explicitly into entrepreneurship education, kind of going around institutional barriers. Mm -hmm. They've, in fact, required us to collaborate. And that hasn't been a problem for us in the consortium because we've been doing collaboration for 20 years. Um, and it's kind of frustrating they didn't spend more money our way, but <laughs> I, we may, you know, but yeah. whatever. Uh, but th there is now, there's grant money, it's helping us do this program more effectively and extend it out to what we're calling a gauntlet, you know, from our classroom to this, this function to the business plan competition, and we're now going to run a summer accelerator, mini accelerator for uh, people who do well in this course, the New Venture Challenge, or do well in the business plan, so they're already vetted with their ideas, and we're going to, you know, spend a, uh, three weeks trying to get them investor presentable. Yep. Um, so, the, and so we're doing some things like that. We actually have, we're, we're incredibly innovative. Nobody's doing the shared course. You know, what, so one of the things we haven't done is tell the story, yep, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, That's what we're doing right now. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, Fortune Magazine, Inc. Magazine should be here today, sitting next to you taking notes about what we're doing because nobody in the world is doing what we're doing. Yep. The shared course, this collaboration across public, private institutions of higher education. So we've got, we've got some really powerful things going on that way. And, uh, and, and it gives us leverage. So you know now I have uh, at least one computer science professor who's sending your kids my way, and, and, and you know, at least one in, or two engineering guys who send their students my way. And everybody on campus finally knows that if they got a kid who really wants to start something, they come and send them to me. Yep. Yeah, nice. so. so the interdisciplinary aspect of it is is almost like a key component of yeah. why this is good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So so anything that we we you know the state can do better. I mean, uh, you know, Mike kind of alluded to the fact that we spend so much money on education in the state. I mean, that is, that seems to be one of like the, the the foundational pieces of the ecosystem. I mean, is that is that kind of how you so, view the education? Well, we ha we. It's expensive to get educated here. Yep. I mean, it, it, every, higher yeah. ed, most places. Yeah, still pay yeah. my bills. So, um, you know, so funding uh, higher ed, funding, you know, it, public education, I mean, I happen to be a big believer in that. 
Um, one of the things that I've been trying to talk to the legislatures and all the gubernatorial candidates I can see is let, we should be thinking about proportionate regulation. So I'm not a, a oh, let's wild west, everything goes, but, yeah. uh, you know, if we regulate it in proportion to the ability to do harm, you know, like the classic thing that libertarians like to talk about, the kid with the lemonade stand and the health department shuts him down and fines right. them, you know, the kid can, worse, they could make a dozen people sick. Right? It's not like Minute Maid who can kill millions of people if they got botulism in their yeah, exactly. or lemonade, right? So if we had regulation in proportion to the ability to, you know, the potential damage that they could do, uh, so it's a lot easier to start. Because, you know, when you're early and you're trying to figure it out and you've got to jump over these giant hurdles that a lot of times have been uh, lobbied by the big companies who are going to get regulated. They say, well, let's be fair. Let's because they don't want the competitors coming right, in. Right. And taking you know, yeah. So I think proportionate regulation would, would be a huge step for us. Um, I think the, the, uh, the learner's permit kind of thing, you know, where you, you, know, you, don't, you, you have a vacation on the, um, the entity tax. And so there's some things like that where we could say, you know, it's not one size fits all because we're not all one size. Nice, nice. Well, uh, Drew, I think that um, you know this is this is something that's very interesting. I know I would have taken the course if I was at uh, you know back in school, um, and we will definitely be following this because obviously uh, for CT Startup we want to see all the, the the cool and innovative things that are coming out of all the new programs that are popping up. So well, thanks for having me. On. Thank you for listening to CT Startup. More Connecticut startup news, information, and events can be found at ctstartup.com. The weekly episodes of this podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and ctstartup.com. Finally, we would like to thank both Sublime Exposure Online and Mirtha Kalima for providing resources and space to CT Startup, which make this show possible. See you next week.